the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, everybody. This is Ron Guy. We're back with more End Time Insights. Thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. We don't take it for granted that you actually listen to me. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We've been talking about the uh, times when Jesus was telling the disciples uh, and the Jews to beware, to watch out for certain things. And we spoke about, uh, last week we spoke about uh, beware of the false prophets. And the week before that, we spoke about Jesus said, beware of men for what they would do to you. I've got a couple more that I want to talk about, but I want to um, go somewhere else today. We had a Bible study uh, Saturday in our home. We loved it. It was great. And the topic was about judging ourselves. And it was really good. And so I wanted, I didn't want to wait. I wanted to get the stuff out now. So I'm going to talk about the body of Christ, the church, judging themselves. I've got a couple of really good scriptures here. And it's important that you understand what's going on um, with today's church taking such a beating from a lack of holiness, a lack of impact into the world. Um, we're following the world instead of the world being impacted by what the church is saying. So let me give you a couple of scriptures, okay? We're going to, like I said, we're interrupting our series on when Jesus says beware. But I feel this is important. I feel this is where the Lord would like me to go today. As we look at the current dangers to the church, in the church, whether they're coming from the outside influences such as false teachers or false prophets or heresies or even persecutions, you know, they're also from within, such as uh, fleshly lust, which war against the soul, uh, ungodly unions in our relationships, uh, the pride of life. No matter where we are or what we are engaged in, we are required to judge ourselves. You know, God's awesome. I love the way he does things. And as you read the Bible and you understand, he reveals himself to you. If you don't know your Bible, you can't know God. So this privilege and advantage of us judging ourselves is not offered to anyone else except to the church world. God allows us to be our own judges. Man, I think that's awesome. You know, and that's grace because you don't want nobody else judging you. But if you do your job, if you judge yourself, then God goes ahead and he's allowed to uh, just move you on in your relationship. But if we neglect to do that, then we will fall under God's judgment and you definitely don't want that happening. Hebrews twelve twenty nine. this is why you don't want that happening because our God is a consuming fire. You got to understand, we're all going to face the fire of God, all of us, church members, non-church members, people heading to hell, people heading to heaven. We're all going to face the judgment fire of God, and the uh, the world will be consumed by that fire, and the church will be refined by that fire. It's the same fire. It's just the people that are affected by it are different because we've been saved. We've got the life of Christ inside us. He's working in us. That fire doesn't punish us. It refines us. But to those that have rejected his Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be punished by it and they will be consumed. 
First Peter 4, verses 12 through 14. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing was happening unto you. Verse 13. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rest upon you. On their part, he is spoken of evilly, yet on your part, he is glorified. And the Bible says here, beloved, think it not strange. Basically, don't be surprised at the suffering uh, that you're going to be doing for Jesus Christ. Remember, the servant is not above his master. If they crucified Christ and if they persecuted Christ and he went through tribulation, then guess what? You are going to go through suffering, trials, and persecution, and tribulation also. If your doctrine is biblical, you won't be surprised about what's going on. If you know your God, you won't be surprised about what's happening to you, this strange, fiery trial. Unfortunately, we here in America, in our Christian, our Western Christianity, we've got it all backwards. We associate material blessings as if that's a sign of successful Christian service, Christianity, when in reality, it's the suffering that defines us as successful Christians. Material blessings, they may bring comfort, but it's the sufferings that will bring the glory, and we are looking for the glory of God. Here, the fire upon the Christian, it looks like persecution. It looks like suffering. It's physical at times. And I know people say, well, no, no, the church doesn't have to go through any physical pain or any physical suffering. You won't find that in the Bible. These people that are after your money, that's part of part and parcel to what they're telling you to get you to listen to them, to appeal to your carnal appetites. They promise you this. They promise you that. Just sign here. Give me your money. Sign over your home. No, 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 no. You've got to know this stuff. You know, even common sense without the Holy Spirit, you've got to know that people are out there, they're ripping you off. And when people do it in the church, when they use Scripture to create a, um, an appeal to your flesh, that's a manifestation of covetousness. And God frowns on covetousness. He warns us against those that are after our soul. The Bible says they will make merchandise of you. Be wise. Be wise. Those are the false prophets, the false teachers that we've been telling you to watch out for. Here, the fire upon the Christian looks like persecution, which leads to suffering, and it's even physical at times. But know that you are being made fit for his heavenly kingdom. And truthfully speaking, while it may not seem like it, for those of us who walk in the spirit and are heavenly minded, it is a time of joy. It is a time of rejoicing for the spirit of glory is also upon us, protecting us from the fiery flames, burning away the dross and refining us for kingdom use. But we must prove faithful in that. Otherwise, we fall under the same judgment as the world does. That being, we will be judged by God. But even there, we have an advantage for even in that, while the world is being punished, we are being refined. We are being cleansed. First Peter 4.17 For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at, with us at the house of God, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? You know, for too long, the American church has preached against Christians and suffering. It's just become so normal in this America, whether it's, it's uh, Joel and his pagan message of uh, your best life now, whether it's a, a Brother Copeland or other word of faith teachers that are telling you that, no, 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 that's not God. God would never put uh, any pain on you. God would never allow you to go through suffering. All those are false. I'm sorry. You need to get in the Bible, find out what the Bible has to say about it. Remember, you're not above the Lord Jesus. If they crucified Jesus, they killed Jesus. Chances are you're going to have to go through some type of living hell here on earth. But don't forget, it, 
refining you. While it's punishing those that don't know God, that have rejected his Messiah, Jesus, you are being refined. It's called the furnace of affliction. It's called the refiner's fire. You're being tried as gold, proving to not only God, but proving to yourself that you are fit for the kingdom of heaven. For too long, the American church has preached against uh, Christian suffering. That view has never been biblical. Uh, Brother Wearsby, a uh, uh, current commentator, when God puts his people into the fiery furnace, he has his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. I like that. That shows that it's under his control, that he knows what he's doing, that you will not be tempted past you are able to withstand. And then Spurgeon says it like this. God had one son without sin, Jesus, but he never had a son without trial, which is just a nice way of saying, guys, you're going to go through the trials that God's got for you. Why? To punish you? No, to perfect you. The Bible says he would perfect that which concerns you. God's word translation, uh, the time has come for judgment to begin, and it will begin. It must begin with God's family. If it starts with us, what will the end be for those who refuse to obey the gospel? Once Jesus finished his work, which he did 2,000 years ago, he finished it on the earth. Now he ever lives to make intercession for us according to the will of God, seated at the right hand of the Father. Once Jesus has finished his work on the earth, so many things were set in motion, including man's judgment, Satan's judgment, and the church's judgment. Let's quickly break that down. John 16, verse 10 in the message. I think the message speaks it most clearly. I don't use the message translation all the time. I'm a King James guy. I like the King James. I think that's closest to the original uh, Red Sea Scrolls. But for this, I like the message. And it says, when he comes, Jesus, he'll expose the error of, of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, he'll expose the errors of the godless world's view of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. He'll show them, the world, that their refusal to believe in me, the Lord Jesus, is their basic sin. People don't go to hell because they're murderers. People don't go to hell because they're drug addicts or because they're liars or cheaters or fornicators. People go to hell because they have rejected God's Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will show them, I'm going back to another scripture, he'll show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin. That righteousness comes from above where I am with the Father out of their sight and control, that judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world is brought to trial and convicted. So basically, if I can paraphrase that, we see that Satan himself has already been judged and condemned. He has been judged and found guilty before the courts of God. He has been sentenced. He's been condemned to the lake of fire. And all that awaits now is the carrying out of that sentence. He's actually like out loose on bail now, as it were. He's been found guilty. He's been tried. He's been judged and he's been sentenced. But the sentence, I guess it's like they got a satanic appeal or something. The sentence won't be carried out until the end of the age, in which case he will be sentenced to the eternal damnation in the lake of fire. The world right now is currently under the conviction of sin because the Holy Spirit is here. He just said that, that when he comes, he'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin. That's what he has done. That's why it is so important that our preachers are preaching the whole gospel. I know like Brother Osteen says that he's not going to preach about sin because the world beats people up enough and he doesn't want to beat them up with the gospel. Well, brother, the gospel does not beat people up. I'm sorry. The Bible says the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the power of God unto salvation. And if we don't tell the homosexual that because of that sin, that's evidence that he does not know God, that he does not have a relationship with God. If we are not loving enough to tell them the truth that that sin is keeping him from eternity with heaven and is going to wind up in hell. If we don't care about him enough to tell him that, then we're not doing the work of God. I'm sorry. 
if we're going to be cowardly concerning the truths of the gospel that help get people saved, we don't belong in the pulpit at the end of the day. Go sell cars. Go do something else. But the gospel is for the pulpit, and the pulpit is for the gospel. If you're going to stand in the pulpit, preach the gospel, all of it. Okay, the world is currently under the conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit. Hopefully and prayerfully, that conviction will lead to repentance. But if the church keeps trying to avoid allowing the Holy Spirit to do his job by not telling people the whole gospel, you know, if I, these people are headed for hell if you don't know God. I'm sorry. God doesn't send them there. They choose to go there by rejecting the Messiah. God's made it easy. I, I've, I've sent my son to pay the penalty for your sin. All you need is for someone to tell you the truth about that. And then you realize that the sins that you would wind up going to hell for have already been paid for. You don't belong in hell. You belong in heaven in eternity with Jesus Christ and the rest of his church. Hmm. But if the church keeps trying to avoid allowing the Holy Spirit to do his job, many will wind up in hell and their blood will be upon us. To ensure that God's plan is clearly evidenced by the church, he allows us to demonstrate what his grace looks like and what it does and how it operates. Before he will judge evil man, though, he says, I'm going to judge a church. Judgment must begin at the house of God. But hey, saints, brothers, you got to know this. He allows us to be our own judge. Man, that, that's cool. And, you know, I, you would think that, well, we're going to be hard on ourselves and everything. Let me tell you something. God's standard is so much above your standard. That's what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes that we've got here. You've got to judge according to God's standard, not according to man's standard. Let's uh, look at communion, and that may give you some insight into what that looks like. Communion, you know the communion service, right? Remember, do this in memory of me. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 to 31. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Paul is writing to the Corinthians church, and he's telling them, look, there's a problem here. We're not doing communion in the way that Christ told us to do it. This is not an optional exercise. You do it the way Christ said it. You do it how he said it. He's the head of the church. It's his body. It's his blood. I think he knows what he wants you to do. Verse 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And that's the crux of the lesson right there. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And that's not just in communion, it's in all things. But in context here, the communion table of Christ is the altar whereby we do and perform our self-judgment. It's where purity takes place in the church through the process of self-examination and self-judgment. At the communion table of the Lord, the truth of verse 31, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged, it's evident. Paul writes, we are to examine ourselves in verse 28. The phrase in verse 29, he that eats and drinks unworthily, it's got nothing to do with our ability or worthiness to partake in the communion table. What it does mean, it's that he talks about that the how behind the way we are taking communion is unworthy. This self-examination is looking for sin, any sin in my life. It's looking for any disobedience in my life. I'm looking for any neglect or any error or any failure to have a right attitude and thought concerning others. We ought to be pure and clean at this table. Is there unforgiveness in my life? We need to self-check. That's how we judge ourselves in the body, and the communion table is the perfect vehicle for exercising that judgment. Verses 29 and 30 show us what would happen. Ouch, this is so... Mm. 
Verse 29 and 30 show us what would happen if we attempt to take communion without self-examination. God steps in. He will judge us. Remember, if you don't judge yourself, I'm going to have to judge you. Hey, guys, judge yourself. You don't want God judging you. And I'm not talking about judging you for your salvation. I'm talking to you just about general judgments that lead to a prosperous life or that could even lead to death. Here, Paul says so. And believe me, it's not pretty. He says, I'll give you first shot at judging yourself, the Lord says. But if you don't, this is what's going to happen. And Paul writes it down. If you don't judge yourself, many become weak, many become sick, and many die. You get that? When you come before the table of the Lord, if you have not judged yourself properly, if you have not applied the blood of Jesus over your sin, then you run the risk of getting sick and you run the risk of dying. As with many other aspects of Western Christianity, we're just playing church. In a church setting when communion is taken, if the pastor is really watching out for the souls of the people that God's put under him, he will be offering them uh, repentance, an opportunity to self-exam. I'm not talking about a 20 or 30 second time. If you need five or 10 minutes, you got to get before the Lord in your private time before the communion uh, is taken, then you need to do that. But this is a really close outward examination, inward observation of who you are, what you've been doing, how you've been living. Unfortunately, we've got it more. We judge it. Well, I did this. That was good. And I did just did this. That was bad. And they cancel out. I'm fine. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about look at your heart. And I want you to look at your heart in relation to what's been written. I want you to look at your heart in relationship to the word of God. We are coming before the table of the Lord, not to repent or to get purified as we are supposed to be doing, remembering a broken body and his blood. But in America, we are coming to get something. You don't come to the communion table of the Lord to receive something from the Lord. I don't care how spiritual it is. People call the communion service the uh, the meal that heals. That's nice. And it may be true. People may, be, may get healed during communion. But if you're coming to receive something from the Lord, you've got the wrong motivation when you're coming down to have communion with Christ. You must come clean. You must come pure. Communion is not something that you do. It's something that you are. We are in communion with God. That's what Christianity is all about. Remember Jesus said to these guys that were didn't know him, he says, depart from me. You thought you were Christians by the works that you did, but I never knew you. You're evil. Get out of my face. Well, that's what we're doing in communion. We're making sure that we can stand before the face of the Lord, holy and cleansed by applying the blood of Jesus to our sin. If we do that ourselves, God will not judge us, and you don't want to be judged by God. He is a harsher judge than you are. Wow, look at the standard, Matthew five forty-eight. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Wow, God expects you to be perfect. Yes. Well, I can't be perfect. No, you can't. But he can be. The Bible says when we got saved that Christ in us the hope of glory, the Bible says he sends the comforter. He sends, sends the Holy Spirit to live inside you. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it's God that's working in you, both to will, to want to, and to do, to accomplish his good pleasure. How is this attainable? In ourselves, it's not attainable. But in Christ, it's not only attainable, it's demanded of us. We must be perfect as Christ is perfect. And let me give you an example about this. Matthew 5, verses 20 and 21, 22. For I say unto you, the Lord says, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, You shall in no way enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said of them of the old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother and have thoughts about killing, without a cause, 
he shall be in danger of the judgment as well. And whosoever shall say to his brother, thou fool, he shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, he shall be in danger of hellfire. Basically, Jesus is saying in the old days, you had to kill someone to get sentenced under the law. Jesus is saying, all you got to do is think about it now. In the old days, they said, well, you could get angry and call your brother all sorts of names, thou fool, thou reprobate, thou evil, whatever. And Jesus is saying, no, I don't even want you thinking those thoughts. I don't want you to have thoughts of anger. He's raising the standard, and it's great. He is speaking to the Jews here, and he's speaking to his disciples. He is upping the game. He is comparing the law to the soon-coming standard of Christianity, grace. The rules of the law governed man's physical actions. Right, don't kill, don't... Smoke dope, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife, don't steal, got it. Okay, that was the law. And that's changing, though, because the law was never intended to fix man's heart. It was designed to control or to fix or restrain man's actions all the while, revealing his wickedness to him so that man would understand he is out of fellowship with God. He is a sinner. Jesus is saying, I am instituting a new system, a new way of living, I will write my laws on your mind and on your hearts. Interesting, Hebrews ten sixteen. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, which is now, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. This is the covenant that God promised that he was going to make with the Jews. He's already made this covenant with us, his church. Your heart is now the standard by which you will judge yourselves. Not by your actions. Remember, well, I beat up Tommy, but I didn't fight with Jim. Well, I slept with Jane, but I didn't sleep with Judy. No, no, no. That's not your standard. Your standard is, well, I wanted to hit James, but I didn't. That's great. Well, I wanted to sleep with Judy, but I didn't. That's great because you're checking your heart out against the word of God, which says if you have lusted in your heart after this woman... It's the same thing as if you have committed in the natural realm. Jesus is raising the standard. He goes, I want your hearts right. If your heart is right, your actions will be right, and you don't need to be worried about your actions. So Jesus, he's in the heart business. He, he's after your heart. You know, the Bible says um, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God. I'm a new creature created in Christ Jesus. I not only have the ability of Ron to love you, I now have the ability of the Holy Spirit living inside me to represent the love of God to you. In my marriage, basically, I am loving Diane for God. He is loving her through me. Hebrews 10, 6, I read that. This is the covenant that I will make. Your heart is now the standard by which you will judge yourselves. Don't forget, we're judging ourselves, but we're judging it by my heart against the written word of God. The law judges your action. Grace judges your hearts. Now, in Christ, your actions will far exceed the moral standard of man. Do you follow that? Yes, you must be perfect as the Father is perfect. This is where Christian self-judgment must begin. The Old Testament law dealt with outward actions, but citizens of the kingdom of heaven must beware of inward attitudes, sinful inward attitudes. In fact, the attitudes... Jesus calls for can only be fulfilled by those with a new heart and a new spirit. Remember, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, all things have passed away, all things have become new. He is born again. He has a new spirit, a new heart. He is under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. He gets a new heart. You get a new spirit. Otherwise, it's an utterly impossible standard for us to meet the perfection of God. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Only citizens of the kingdom of heaven Genuine believers can obey Jesus' instructions and the commands that he gives us. 
doing shall not because of outward restraints such as thou shalt not, but because of an inward life that under grace has now purchased for you the spirit of the living God, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus set for us a new standard, a higher standard, one where we would be judged against the perfection of God. But the good news is God allows you to do it. I think that's great. If you would judge yourselves, you would not be judged. Let me pray for you. I hope you understand this. I hope you get this message. You know, Jesus wasn't saying anything different than he ever told the Jews, but they didn't have the help of the Holy Spirit like we do inside. Father, I thank you, Lord God. The Bible says the entrance of your word giveth light, and so shall your word be that goes forth in the earth. It shall not return void, but it shall prosper into the thing whereto I send it, Father God. I thank you, Lord, that your word that I just spoke is already at work prospering in their hearts and their minds, revealing to them, Father God, the ability that they have to be perfect before you. I pray that you would cause them to judge themselves humbly. I pray, Father God, that they would walk worthy of the call on their lives unto all pleasing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.